Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tates Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. Our New Testament reading this morning is Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered them, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if I can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, would you come and meet with us this week? Would, um, would you be the preacher? Would you be the prophet? Would you be the instructor? Would you, Holy Spirit, be the one who does what we cannot do? Your word in this passage clearly says, all things are possible if we believe. If we believe in you through faith, you can do the impossible. And that includes raising the dead. That includes changing our hearts. That includes changing our very lives on this seemingly uh, random day in the middle of a quarantine watching online. You can do the impossible. And we dare pray that you would do it and use me in any way. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. 
If you have been with us the past few weeks, you know that we have been looking at some of the more unusual miracles from the life of Jesus. And what has been a consistent theme in all of them is the beauty and centrality of faith. Like last week, for example, when Jesus is stunned by the woman's faith, he says, Oh my woman, how great is your faith. The concept of faith is everywhere in the Gospels. Not just the Gospels, but all of Scripture. And it is very clear that faith, specifically faith in Jesus, is what Jesus himself seeks. And so in response to these stories about faith, I wanted to go deeper this week into the idea of faith itself, our understanding and application of this thing called faith. We're looking at another unusual passage from the ministry of Jesus, and the details of this passage, this stories, will reveal the details of faith. So let's explore together what we call faith, faith in Jesus, that holds such preeminence in Scripture. And I have five observations on faith from this unusual story, and for your convenience, I have organized them into the acronym of faith. So F, the focus of faith... A, the allegation of faith, I, the inconsistency of faith, T, the testimony of faith, and H, the hope of faith. Let's start with the focus of faith. Look at verse 14. And when they had come to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, the scribes arguing with them. And he immediately, and immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Did you notice the shift in focus between verses 17 and 18? Teacher, I brought my son to you. And then 18, so I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. So he intends to bring his son to Jesus, but Jesus is unavailable on the mountain. So he asks the disciples, can you all just do it? But they couldn't. And here's the point. Efficacy of faith is not found in faith itself. It is found in the focus of our faith. It is not, do you have faith, or even how sincere is your faith? Rather, it is the focus of your faith. What matters is where you have placed your faith. Faith focused on the disciples was a meaningless faith. Faith focused on Jesus was an effectual faith. I remember watching the Prince of Egypt with my sons, which is a Disney's adaptation of the Exodus story, and, and it's, 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 it's done fine until the closing credits, which just got to me. It's Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston singing When You Believe. You've probably heard the song before. Um, so this is the end of The Prince of Egypt, meaning this is Disney's summation of the story. This is the lesson of the story of, of the Exodus. Who knows what miracles you can achieve when you believe? Somehow you will, you will, when you believe, just believe. You will, when you believe, just believe. You will, when you just believe. Believe in what, Mariah? 
and Whitney. The entire point of the Exodus story is that belief in Yahweh leads to deliverance. If Moses stood on the shores of the Red Sea with Pharaoh's armies bearing down and said to Israel, if our Old Testament passage said this, and then Moses said to Israel, sing with me, who knows what miracles you can achieve if you just believe, or however the song goes, I'm terrible, I get it. If he just sang this song and said, come on Israel, let's just believe, the sea would not have parted. I don't care how sincere he believed his faith could part the sea. The sea could not part by faith in itself. Instead, our Old Testament passage says this, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. The Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Verse 14, the essence of faith. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be still. It is not faith that delivers. It is the focus of faith that delivers. And so the question of life then becomes this. Is the focus of your faith faithful? You see, faith is unavoidable, just so we know. Everyone, not just the religious, mind you, everyone lives their life by faith in something. Are you willing to critically evaluate the focus of your faith? That which you trust, that which you live for, that which defines you, that which by faith you believe is ultimately true and worthy of your ultimate trust. Because that's the issue, my friends. Not faith. We all have that. Rather, the focus of our faith. And that's a sobering thought, isn't it? You are basing your life, your meaning, your value, your purpose, your soul, your existence, your eternity on something. You better get that something right. Friends, be very, very careful upon which your faith resides. Now, I've made my decision in life and in death, like our confession of faith this morning, in life and in death, my faith is in Jesus Christ. What about you? Where is the focus of your faith? Second observation from the text, the allegation of faith. Verse 19, and he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? That's unexpected, just like last week. It almost seems out of character for Jesus. Why is he so upset with everyone's continual lack of faith? Because it's an indictment upon his faithfulness. Listen, your faith is not about you. It really isn't. You exalt that which you trust in by saying you are worthy of my trust, and consequently the opposite is true. That which you do not trust is an allegation that it is not worthy of your trust. And this is why faith is serious business. 
Faith or lack thereof makes a statement. An allegation of whether something is worthy of faith, which is why Jesus is frustrated, one might even say offended, by the lack of faith all around him. Look at verse 21. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if I can? He's insulted. What do you mean, if I can? <laughs> what else must I do to prove to you and everyone that indeed I can and you can trust me that I can? Here's the point. The issue of faith is a serious issue. Its implications go way beyond effectiveness. It makes much of our God when we trust him, and it insults our God when we don't. Do you ever view your doubts, your anxieties, your vain imaginations of what the future may hold? Do you ever view these things as insulting? I know you don't like them. I know you don't like your doubts. You don't like your fears. You don't like your anxieties. But why don't you like them? Because they harm you. That's true. They make a mess of a life. But how about because they insult your God? Do you view your incessant need to walk by the faith, by the sight of your, un, of your own control and understanding, rather than walk by faith? Do you view your demand to walk by sight, not by faith, as insulting to your Savior? Now, thankfully, God is patient with our lack of faith. That's what we're going to see in our next point. But the reason why I'm saying this before the next point is that do not, we, we dare not misinterpret his forbearance with his approval. Of course he's patient with Peter, for example, and his continual doubts and unfaithful acts. Of course he's patient with him. But that doesn't therefore mean that it's not insulting to Jesus. Our lack of faith is an allegation against God and his faithfulness, a false allegation that God is not worthy of our trust. What more must the Lord Jesus do to demonstrate he is worthy of our faith? The answer, of course, is he has nothing left to prove, which is why our, our doubts in his faithfulness is so insulting to him. And yet, insulting though it may be, Jesus still accepts even a duplicitous faith. The focus of faith, the allegation of faith, thirdly, the inconsistency of faith. I cannot tell you how thankful I am that Mark chapter 9, verse 24 is in the Bible. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. The reason I'm so thankful for that verse is because it shows us that faith is not clean. It's messy. This is very, very important for us to understand. Faith is not as simple as a binary choice 
of you either believe or you don't. Faith is a cluttered, inconsistent, hesitant, I believe, help my unbelief. And apparently, Jesus is okay with that. Because it's after that statement that Jesus heals his son. And in so doing, Jesus makes it clear that he accepts messy faith. Though our faith is contaminated by doubts and fears, and though these doubts and fears are certainly insulting, as we just did see in the, in the last point, even still, the Savior graciously responds to this man's weak faith. If you are a deeply introspective person who is constantly evaluating your faith, your thoughts, your intentions, your motivations, your desires, and always trying to discern whether you are genuine or not, this verse is asking you to lay that down. You're never going to sort it out, and the good news is that you don't have to sort it out. Jesus is okay with a faith that is both sincere and insincere, with, with a trust that is both sure and unsure. You are allowed to say to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. If you are a perfectionist who is in bondage to all or nothing thinking, the if it's not perfect, then it's nothing. That way of thinking, this verse is asking you to lay down your perfectionism. Thoughts of doubts and mistrust, unfaithful acts, moments of betrayal do not negate the very real faith that is within you. Faith is not all or nothing. Just because you have remnants of unbelief does not make you an unbeliever. Jesus is okay with the inconsistency of, I believe, help my unbelief. You are allowed to say, Jesus, I trust you. Oh, for grace to trust you more. The focus of faith, the allegation of faith, the inconsistency of faith, and fourthly, the testimony of faith. Jesus casts out demon. Then look at the strange conclusions of the story in verse 28. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now this is confusing to many. First, it does appear that there are powers and principalities that are stronger than others and do require intense prayer and fasting. And in other translations, it might include this kind can't be cast out without prayer and fasting. Um, and pastors I know who minister in places around the world, like our friend Macklin in Togo, West Africa, uh, have told me um, you know, that, it, that, that in areas where things like this are more prevalent, they have told me that this is the case, um, that some, some of these situations do require an intensity of prayer and fasting. But that discussion aside, what I really want us to see is that Jesus is still talking about faith, though he's not using that word. Why couldn't we cast it out? Jesus says, only prayer can, which is just another way of saying only God can. So you're going to have to ask God to do it. The testimony of our faith is our prayers. Because implicit in prayer is that I trust God, not myself. And in this way, 
Prayer is the language of faith. You see, the thing about faith is that it could be, it could be such an ambiguous concept. What is it? How is it measured? How is it expressed? And the answer to all of these questions is prayer. Look, if, if I come to you and ask you for something, it's because I trust you. I trust that you have an answer for me. You can help me. Well, how do we come to God? How do we ask of God? How do we pour our requests out to God? Through prayer. And so prayer is the expression of our faith, the concrete testimony of what can feel like such an ethereal concept. The two are inseparable. In fact, it even works this way. Prayer is the natural overflow of faith, and faith becomes the natural overflow of prayer. Meaning this, um, and this is really important for our prayer lives, the two reinforce each other. Lack of faith obviously leads to lack of prayer, which leads to lack of faith, which leads to lack of prayer. But the opposite is also true. Faith obviously leads to prayer because you trust God, so you pray to God. Faith leads to prayer, which will prayer life cultivates faith, which then cultivates prayer, and so forth. And so when Jesus says the demon cannot be driven out by anything but prayer, he is saying the demon cannot be driven out by anything but faith in me. You are trying to drive it out by yourself, but you can't. You can't do it, disciples. You need to pray. You need to ask me to do it. And in this way, prayer is the truest testimony and application of our faith. The focus of faith, the allegation of faith, the inconsistency of faith, the testimony of faith, and finally and ultimately, the hope of faith. Return one more time to verse 23. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. That's a pretty big statement. All things are possible for one who believes. It would be a misinterpretation and misapplication, though some do misinterpret and misapply this verse, to say, if you just believe, God can do whatever you want Him to do. That's not the meaning of this verse. In fact, it's the opposite of the meaning of this verse. This is the opposite of faith. To say, if I have faith, everything I ask God, He'll do, is the opposite of faith because it turns faith into sight. It turns faith into control. Instead, the story is speaking to something far more significant than us just getting whatever we want from God. That's not the purpose of the story. The story speaks to ultimate hope, a hope that can only be obtained by faith. For him to say all things are possible means that he thinks he can overcome that which is most impossible. And that's the focus of the story. And indeed he can. In fact, that is what he has come to do. Make possible what for man is impossible. Now what is that? On an ultimate level, what is impossible for you to do? Your own salvation. The story of this possessed boy is meant to mirror another story. That's why there are all these odd details included. The father says that since birth, his son has been in subjection to this destructive force within. It has caused him such misery and destruction, and there's nothing he or anyone else can do about it. Deliverance is impossible. That sounds like every story of the sinful nature. The story of the sinful nature within all of us, this destructive evil within us that controls and compels us into misery and pain, and there's nothing we can do about it. You cannot expel your sinful nature. 
But Jesus says here, all things are possible if you believe in him. And this is what the gospel promises to us. To all who look in faith to Jesus, he will do to your sinfulness what he does to this demonic spirit. Cast it out. Look again at verse 25. You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. That's what Jesus has come to do to everyone who looks to him in faith. Cast out the old, destructive, sinful nature and resurrect the new in Christ. Anyone who is in Christ, anyone who looks by faith to Christ is a new creation the old is gone, the new has come. His promise is that what happened to the Son will happen to all who believe in Him. And by the way, these are not empty words. He isn't just asking you to blindly believe. Jesus never asked that of us. He who calls you to faith has proven that He is faithful. Unlike the Son in our passage, He was the Son who was not spared. Unlike the son in our passage who appeared like a corpse but arose, he is the son who truly was a corpse and arose. Unlike the father in our passage who is pleading for the end of his son's misery, our heavenly father delivered up his son for misery. Why? So that he can be faithful to all who place their faith in him. So that he can promise that the impossible for humanity is now possible. Listen, it is true that your salvation is impossible. I want to make that very clear. You are beyond redemption. You are beyond the hope of forgiveness, the hope of righteousness, the hope of healing, the hope of eternal life. I'm sorry, it's impossible for you. But not for Jesus. Jesus has done the impossible and faith in Jesus, trusting Jesus to do what you cannot do, makes Jesus glad when you ask him to do it. Why does Jesus love it so much when he finds faith in the Gospels? Nothing, as we've been seeing the past few weeks, nothing brings him more joy than the demonstration of faith. Why? What is it about faith that he loves so much? It's not faith itself. It's what faith accomplishes. He loves faith because he loves you. And your faith in him gives him you. So let's give him what he wants, shall we? Let's give to him the joy that we see in him in the Gospels, let's give him that joy when he finds faith. I want to ask you a simple application question and then we're done. Very simple. Do you believe in Jesus? Now remember, I believe, help my unbelief is acceptable here. So with that qualification, do you believe in Jesus? Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? If so, it's finished. It's done. Everything is settled. You are saved, and Jesus is happy. Let's pray. Well, thank you for the gift of faith. We, we do remember as we 
answer that question, we do remember that faith is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one may boast. Even the faith comes from you. And so we say thank you for faith. We confess our faith is very messy. We confess that it is riddled with doubts and fears. But we thank you that I believe, help my unbelief, is acceptable. And so today, we close by just saying to you, Jesus, we believe. We have faith. And we trust that our faith in you is not in vain because you have proven you are faithful. Thank you, faithful Jesus. Thank you. And we pray that our faith in you brings you the joy that you always find in our belief. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. And we pray in your name. Amen.